Hi, everyone, and welcome back to High Tea Hoops. High Tea Hoops. Nice, Brian. Thank you. We're back with another uh, great Thursday tea time for you. I feel like we haven't said that name in a while. I know, and we're retiring Sunday Roast for a little bit. Just for a bit, just taking a bit of a break. Doing more interviews, trying to highlight more people across the British basketball community. Yeah. Honestly, guys, it was just... There's a lot it's, of basketball games. It was games. a lot. We'll of do some basketball. specials. I think once the playoffs pick back up, um, we'll go back to some of it. But hopefully, they get COVID figured out by then. We can only do so many pods a week, though, and we want to focus more on doing really good interviews. So I'm yeah. excited for it. Yeah, um, we're actually going to keep it rolling with that today. We got another great interview today. Um, a full social episode today. Oh Brian. yeah. Uh, Brian sat down with Paul Bay, the director of social media for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Paul Bay. So exciting. He just left, actually, but he did an incredible job when he was there. Yeah, he was with them when you talked to him. Yes. Yep, definitely. Um, And so you guys went behind the scenes to talk about social media and sports, managing the growth of a social team, capturing ROI, innovating with new technology solutions. It's a really interesting conversation and... One that I'm excited to listen to because I have not yet heard it. Yeah. I mean, Paul, despite the fact that OKC, you know, kind of stole the Seattle Supersonics away, which actually left the door open. A little bit bitter. A little bitter, but it left the door open for the London Looperlonics. So maybe the Looperlonics are the big winner there. But no, Paul uh, is amazing. I've been following him on Twitter for a long time. We've had a lot of great calls. Uh, He's really kind of at the forefront of how sports organizations are running their social media, building their audiences, engaging their community. He got to do it for some pretty amazing players and, you know, mm-hmm. our guy, Stephen Adams, which imagine creating content with Stephen Adams every day. Ugh. Are you kidding me? That's Skylar's I'm dream. Just, I'm, I'm sweating even thinking about it. I'm too <laughs> excited. And in New Orleans, Skylar, this is your dream job. It's truly my dream job. Living in New Orleans. Hanging out with Stephen Adams. Honestly, every day. that would that would be too much. I would not yeah, last more than a year. Yeah, but the a big part of this is like innovating with new technology solutions, which is yeah. a great segue into our little intro segment here, Skylar. Yeah. So, like we said, we've got a full social episode today. We're gonna start off with a little TikTok talk. TikTok. TikTok. So you may have seen uh, this week that in the first ever. Uh, basketball-focused campaign on TikTok in the UK, the BBL and Basketball England are inviting basketball lovers to share their best basketball tricks, skills, and content on TikTok. Let's go. Um, So we heard from, I know you've been wanting them to do this. We heard from uh, Selena Conroy, the uh, head of comms for the BBL. She said, we're excited to be working with TikTok to showcase hashtag British basketball and the talent in the BBL to people not only in the UK, but across the world. From the hustle of training to the thrill of game day, TikTok allows us and our clubs a unique and direct way to share with our fans and communities. So Brian, you're a, you know, you're a big TikTok guy, as oh, yeah. previously noted on this podcast. Uh, what have you thought about this initiative? Yeah. I mean, we've covered TikTok on this podcast. Uh, yeah. We just had Jamie Furness on British basketball. I, do you think they listen and they're like, we need to do a hashtag British basketball initiative? I, we like to think that right? everyone listens to us and then reacts just reacts solely based way. on this pod. I mean, it's but not I doubt far-fetched. that's the case. We have been making British basketball content on TikTok for like, what, eight months now? Sure. A lot of great content. No, I, I'm very bullish on TikTok, especially in the UK where 
basketball is a, you know, a smaller sport it's growing, but it's especially popular in Gen Z in the younger generations. It's especially popular, you know, across different regions, across different socioeconomic, um, you know, areas, and it's really affordable to play. And so the BBL basketball, England basketball in general, if we're trying to grow the culture of the sport in the UK, TikTok is one of the best ways to do it because it allows any hooper to create their own content really easily, remix each other. It, mm -hmm. It's a great community builder. And, you know, on my personal TikTok where, you know, I've built up over 320,000 followers now, I have seen that happen on TikTok more than any other platform. You really can build yeah. a community. Mine's focused on more creative tutorials, creative tips, trying to help people get more creative. But the community you can build, the way that you can educate, it's kind of unmatched on social. And if the BBL yeah. is going to innovate and wants to attract this audience, which is huge with sponsors, it's huge with brands, uh, they have to go and go to these new channels where they can get a little bit of a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it seems like it's already really paying off for them. I mean, yeah. this only happened this week, but we saw British basketball go from just 4 million views on TikTok to it now has over 30 million yeah. views. It's been great. That's in like less than a week. It's like yeah. four days. It's exploded. Yeah. And the reason so think that about how much it can go from here. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's really, you know, what actually caused this. And I've spoken to, you know, to uh, the BBL about this and, and TikTok is where they saw that hashtag basketball in the UK had 31 billion views. Mm -hmm. um, and it's one of the most popular sports on TikTok. It was like it was growing in the UK in a way they didn't expect and it surprised them. So they wanted to kind of jump yeah. on the opportunity. And I think that just goes to show that there is this pent up demand where you have all these kids playing 2K, really getting into esports, really getting into the NBA and basketball and are just interested in basketball because of all the new media forms we're getting. And then they want to participate too. And they want to create their basketball trick shot videos and their own highlight reels and their own basketball comedy. So yeah. it, it's really fun. I know a lot of people in the British basketball community might not have as much exposure to TikTok. And it's like, you know, I was listening to the Below the Rim podcast and they're like, we're, we're so old. My daughter uses this. Like, what <laughs> even is this? It's dance videos, but it can be a really effective channel. Yeah. Uh, and I'm excited for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been excited with what I've seen so far. I mean, I think we've, you know, we've seen some of the players joined. We got Mike Tuck on. Yes. He has an incredible TikTok. Oh my, the thigh video? Are you kidding oh, me? Oh, I Mike haven't Tuck? seen the thigh video. I need he's, to look that up. He's got one of the Theraguns and it's just yeah. slow mo bare thigh Mike Tuck. And it's just that like, sounds like yes, my Mike. kind of video. Embrace it. He does these videos where he's like on a boat and he's like, Welcome to TikTok. I'm your captain. And I'm like, yeah. This is so on brand for Mike Tuck. I love it. That's my favorite Mike Tuck video. <laughs> um, Jamel Anderson joined. Teo joined. I've a seen a of bunch players. of the yeah, a bunch of the clubs joined. The Lions have been doing some fun stuff. Um, yeah, so I'm just excited to see see where it goes from here. Um, yeah. Brian, do you have any tips for our listeners on how they I could do. maybe get started on TikTok? I know you said it's it's a little intimidating at first. So I think it's any way you can simplify it. Yeah, I think it's intimidating because people think of it as like the dance platform is definitely not that there are so many yeah. different parts of TikTok. So and you, you can make things work for different platforms. It's not like yeah. you have to make full new content just for TikTok. Exactly. So I'm, I tweeted this out, but I'm just going to go through some of the basics. Videos are under 60 seconds, but try to keep most of them short under 15 seconds. Those are the most engaging ones. Mm -hmm. uh, convert your videos to vertical format. So nine by 16, eight by 10 are best. So think of like those Instagram videos, horizontal yeah. videos do not look good. 
They're so, so tiny. It's so small. And it's just, it's, it shows that you're actually creating for that platform. And it's as simple as, yeah. you know, if, you, if you're going to put a video on Instagram or, t or Twitter, just put it in vertical format. And then it's a much better fit for TikTok. Mm -hmm. Use those trending audio and music. It can be it can be music like the trending albums or the trending songs, but it can also be funny audio that you remix from other people. Yep. So if Mike Tuck has a quote, you can just take that audio and put it over your own video and it's really funny. Um, you can duet people, you can stitch people where you can like add on your own video to the end of theirs. Uh, you can make your own descriptions with something that prompts comments. So if you do a video, try to get the community engaged. You know, if, if you do a highlight, ask, you know, which part was their favorite. If you do, you know, here's shot A or shot B, which one is better? Try to kind of bring the community together. And then of course, use those hashtags, use those niche, those niche, niche. those niche, those niche uh, hashtags in basketball. Uh, and those are kind of the, the TikTok 101 tips is just don't be intimidated by it. It's easy to repurpose for TikTok and get creative with it. And it actually makes you a lot better at the other platforms as well, because it'll get you thinking creatively about what content you can put in other channels. Yeah, for sure. I think those are some great tips, Brian. I know you've Thank helped you. me start my TikTok. Duchess talk. I love it. <laughs> so I know I've uh, used these tips myself. Um, you're also someone who has grown very quickly on TikTok. You, yes. It's been mentioned before on this podcast. You have over 300,000 followers on your personal TikTok. I don't know what you're up to on Duke. I'm sure it's a, a fraction of that, but 300,000 is a lot. So it's a lot. Um, do you have any tips for how people can grow their following on TikTok quickly? First of all, I love this little mini interview we're doing before the pod. We're on the guest now. I'm <laughs> <laughs> really enjoying this format. Welcome to my podcast. Yeah. You're, oh, thank you. Great question. I'm Scarlett. the captain let me go now. Into, I know. Let, let me get into that. Uh, yeah. I would say the most important thing is to be consistent in a specific niche. So if you're doing British you basketball content, niche. niche. Yeah, I'll go niche. Pick something, stay consistent with it. Um, mm -hmm. you can find your kind of different pillars of your different interests. So let's say you're interested in sneakers and basketball and music, very easy to combine on TikTok. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you can do photo shoots with your sneakers. You can do sneaker content combined with basketball. So as long as you're staying within like the culture of your niche, that can be really powerful to save yourself time, get some templates that work. So like if I'll do, I'll do like a, a photography tip. I have a template that I, it's five shots. It takes 15 seconds, takes me like 10 minutes to edit. And then mm -hmm. it just becomes an easy kind of repetitive thing to do so that you can keep that consistency. And then when a fun trend pops up like sea shanties right now, which are all the rage, <laughs> you can make a fun, you know, put your unique spin on it for your audience. So I saw some British basketball teams doing sea shanty like hype videos, which was incredible. <laughs> um, and then just some ideas for different, you know, basketball content. If you're interested in participating, you know, highlight clips that can just be you and, you know, a garden or at a park doing highlight clips interviews. If you're doing podcasts or you want to, you know, ask a player a quick question, reaction videos are really powerful. So Jamie Furness did his top five TikTokers, and he was building like his starting squad of British basketball TikTokers, which he drafted us Skylar. I was the, very surprised three. I got drafted. Honestly, I want wanted to a pure shooter. thank Jamie Furness for that. Thank him for his faith in me, his confidence in me. <laughs> yeah, Mike Tuck I and was I are very in honored. the front court. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I got drafted with a professional basketball player. As I just, did I. It's a very proud moment in my life. Honestly, Brian, I was expecting you to get drafted. I was very surprised to see myself on that list. He's got an eye for talent. But I, we, we just did a quick reaction video to that. 
um, which is really easy. You can rank and review teams, jerseys, fits, arenas, players, all sorts of stuff, trick shots. The skits are hilarious, like Jesse Chuku and Darian Nelson Henry when he talks about that on the pod, Mm -hmm. where when two like really tall guys see each other, what goes on in their head and their internal dialogue. So funny. funny. Um, And then just storytelling. So if you want to do um, historical storytelling, storytelling about unique experiences, those are really powerful. Um, and I would just encourage you, don't think of TikTok as that dance video that all the kids do. It actually is a really powerful way to build community. And I think mm-hmm. it's going to be a really engaging way to go after a new audience, which basketball needs in the UK. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for that TikTok You're welcome. 101, little, Brian. Little mini TikTok interview to, to kick us off. That was amazing. A little mini masterclass. Yeah. All right. So now let's get into uh, your conversation with Paul Bay the former director of social media for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Today, I am so excited to bring on Paul Bay, the director of social at the Oklahoma City Thunder NBA team. Paul, welcome on. Hey, Brian. How are you? It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, it's fine. Just fires and pandemics and social injustice movements and just everything going on in the background. But these little pockets of being able to talk to people like you, uh, you know, make things a little bit better. Yeah, I absolutely couldn't agree more. It's interesting, actually, with all of the craziness going on in the world, I feel like over the past couple of months, my sort of desire to connect with people and check in with people um, has increased. So I guess that's a good thing coming out of this. Yeah, at least you can't see people in person really anymore. So at least digitally through things like this, it makes it a little bit easier. Right. Um, it makes you do right. it more. But yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's great to be on with you. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start out. Uh, if you want to give the audience just what's your role? What's your background? How did you get to the Thunder? You know, this is a pretty prestigious role. A lot of people like to go for it, even if it's not the Supersonics. Um, which I'm from Seattle, so would love oh. to see them come back. <laughs> I had to throw that you in right to, away. You, you had to go there. <laughs> uh, for the record, I'm on record saying OKC absolutely deserves a team. You proved it when the New Orleans uh, Hornets had to come up there. Um, but we'd just love right. to see one in Seattle too. But would love to start out with just your role and background and how you got to your current position. Sure. Um, so I've been here um, in this role with the Oklahoma City Thunder for two years now, a little over two years, two and a half years or so. And um, just prior to that, I had, I was leading a startup, um, I founded a startup called snap advice. And I know you and I sort of, that was one of the reasons we sort of connected on Twitter, um, was because you're a startup founder as well. And so we've got, you know, quite a bit to talk about and, you know, and kind of, um, share learnings and whatnot. And I think we can relate uh, to a lot of things just from the coming out of that experience. And, you know, I had an exit in 2018, the startup was acquired. And at that point, I was sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do um, for the next few years. You know, there was a, I, I, a big part of me wanted to, you know, jump right back into it with another idea, another product, another um, thing that I wanted to build. But then this opportunity came about. Um, I, I got in touch with a, fr- a mutual friend put me in touch with um, uh, my current boss um, who has a background in broadcasting and as well he's he's been sort of all over the place but he had a background in broadcasting and worked at CBS television for a while I had mm-hmm. quite a tribe from that world having worked at CBS television myself I was at CBS 
um, working directly for digital for uh, CBS television stations, but the digital arm of that um, reporting to New York. But I was based in San Francisco, working out of uh, the local owned and operated uh, KPIX station out there um, in San Francisco. I did that for five years. um, And that was uh, one of the uh, gigs that I've had along the way that I really loved and learned a lot on at. And it, it was one of the first positions where I was, um, you know, sort of the early days of social when not everybody was using it for um, business or, you know, to represent their brand or as part of, um, you know, sort of an organizational marketing um, strategy. Uh, quite a few years ago. And, and, you know, I played a role in, you know, bringing that into the organization uh, and sort of experimenting with it um, as we were working with a lot of the, a lot of the brands that I was working on, working with at the time, uh, Tyra Banks, America's Next Top Model, Gossip Girl was one of uh, uh, the favorite, my favorite uh, brands to work with. did that for probably three, four years. Um, Smallville won an Emmy award for uh, a, a national campaign that we did with Smallville. And um, so that, you know, just kind of uh, experimenting with social in the early days and then, you know, with paid social um, as that kind of became a thing. Um, and since then, you know, kind of been all over the place. Wor- worked with the record label for a while, worked at Google for a couple of years, um, sort of on the technical so- technology side of things. I've sort of always been lucky to be at the intersection of creative um, and storytelling and technology. And so I think that's um, kind of how I ended up here. And, you know, what what drew you to sports specifically? You know, I've had a background across a lot of different industries. What excited you about the move to sports? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, one, just being a huge fan of the NBA um, and uh, being, you know, wanting to be in a space where um, – social audiences are tremendous, you know, just in terms of sheer numbers, but in terms of the, uh, uh, just that how dynamic it is, how interesting it is. I think, you know, SM sports, not just in terms of the brands, but in terms of the, the passion that the audiences bring and, and sports and, 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 uh, NBA fans bring to Twitter in particular, uh, it's just a fun space to be in. Right. Um, and it's, I, I'd say in a lot of ways, it's sort of the cutting edge of social media. Um, and sp- specifically, one of the things that I was really hoping to accomplish and um, learn from in this role and in this space was to be um, to work closely with platforms. So just oh, no, yeah. again, knowing how important SM Sports is um, to, uh, you know, uh, to Facebook as a platform, to Instagram, to Twitter, uh, and knowing, uh, you know, about some of the great folks at those platforms, do, you know, working closely with professional sports teams and and brands in this arena. And so I knew that that was going to be something that um, was going to be really interesting, uh, great learning opportunities to see it sort of from that side of things. And and that's played out the way I th- hoped it would, you know, working closely with our reps at Facebook and Twitter uh, with great guys over there like Nick Marquez and, and um, David Herman at Twitter and working mm-hmm. with those guys and, and you know, getting um, 
sort of first dibs and, you know, firsthand looks at stuff coming out of TikTok, you know, um, hearing from them on, you know, the trends that they're seeing, the the campaigns that they're working on that, you know, we might get a, a little heads up on ahead of time. And so that's been really fun. Yeah, it's amazing. Like the sports creative slack uh, that Matt Desmond has started, they had a Friday happy hour where the TikTok sports partnership person came in and gave those previews. And right. it's a, it is a really amazing community where I was at the, uh, the Twitter sports summit a few years ago in San Francisco, and it was basically every social representative from every team across NFL, NBA, you know, most right. uh, North American professional sports. And you're right. I've never, I, I haven't seen a social community. Maybe I just haven't gone to the events, but of all of the best practice sharing, every, it just really felt like a really strong community where, you know, the teams are competing on the field, but all the social teams know each other. They're good friends with each other. They're sharing best practices and ways to innovate. And it's really cool to see. It's a really, it seems like a really fun industry to be in. It's a fun industry. It's a fun community of professionals in this space, as you've said. Um, and, you know, there's always going, when you get creatives and when you get people committed to their craft, you're going to get, comp- you know, competition. It's competitive, but it's definitely friendly competition. And everybody's eager to help each other out and share. Um, and it's it's a great group of people. Uh, this is a, a question for that a lot of different businesses and organizations face where they're trying to understand what the role of social is uh, within their organizations and within their marketing team in general. So what what do you kind of see in sports? What are some of the roles uh, and goals that the social team, the content team have in sports organizations uh, specifically? And then we can go into kind of how that compares to maybe some other industries. Right. Um, I think it's all over the place. Um, it's okay, just like in any fair. industry, you know, it, there there are different organizations in different markets, different parts of the country. Got one in Canada, yep, <laughs> yep. Um, uh, you know, and, and I think um, it would be weird to not be very specific to your local community and um, not to have a you know a strategy that serves a very unique brand and um, organization. Now, having said that, of course, there's going to be some commonalities. You know, you've got again, you know, when we're talking about sports fans, you know, you've got tremendous engagement. That's always going to be high on the list of your goals, right? In terms of um, providing engage- that engagement, particularly now with this pandemic that we're in and with yeah. the the you know, what's all sports team, professional sports teams are trying to navigate right now for the most part without fans in uh, at live events um, currently. And um, so, you know, that sort of virtual engagement is going to be a huge part of um, any marketing team or any business uh, sports business team's uh, mission and, and strategy. I, I think going beyond that though, um, you know, there's teams that are more focused on revenue there, you know, you're, you're, and I've found that a lot of social teams are uh, set up differently just in terms of structure. You know, it's very common to see sports teams and this is true in, you know, other verticals and other industries, but you, you've got social teams that are part of the marketing department, but then you've also got social teams that were sort of born out of PR, um, uh, social teams that, I, I think the, in my personal opinion, the best, situ- some of the best situations I've seen are when social teams are 
um, a part of more, a more modern structure that, you know, where you've, you've got perhaps a chief of digital, uh, a chief digital content officer, perhaps, or just a chief content officer, uh, and dig- and social sort of sits within a digital team um, and not is um, tied to marketing or something like, or broadcast or something like that. So it's kind of all over the place, but I would say, you know, the, the big things that you're looking for are engagement and you're trying to... Um, uh, move the business forward, right? You know, you're serve you're yeah. serving all so many stakeholders. Really, if you think about it, you know, um, season tickets, uh, sales, group sales, uh, corporate partnerships, um, and with all this, all that sponsored content to try and bring in revenue in the digital space. Uh, you're looking at community relations, uh, social um, impact, uh, which is so important, particularly now with a lot of teams just kind of realizing how important this is, not just for a season or, or for a few months or during the pandemic, but like this is something that we're going to really need to think seriously about and, and figure out how do we, um, are we resourced for this? Do we have the right people at the table? And, you know, sort of committing for the long haul. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're in, the, in the midst of all of these areas and all these conversations, which is part of what makes social so fun, right? Yeah. Well, the, the, the difference between the digital team being separate from the marketing team is really interesting because I've seen that trend as well. What do you think are some of the advantages of splitting that out? And, you know, what, what, what's the difference between them? Yeah, you know, there's pros and cons to every situation, but I think the biggest difference um, and, and the strengths of um, doing that is that you can resource it sort of differently. I mean, you know, you can... Like market, when you're thinking about marketing, you've got all sorts, you've got traditional marketing, you've got, um, graphic, you know, you, you have to serve so many different functions and, and, you know, you, you're creating signage for, uh, live events, you know, and especially when you're thinking about sports, yeah, that, yeah. that's a ton of signage that you need, you know, and going forward, you're going you, to, it's a whole, there's a whole world of like stand here, you know, like, and yes, mar- exactly. X marks, you know, like, and let's keep our distance and, and new instructions that you're going to need at live events. Well, you know, when we do, when we are ready to attempt this next phase of things and, you know, and, and, um, all the interesting, technology sort of innovations um and and new things that we're going to see going forward it's the 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 pandemic is going to accelerate you know um contactless payments at live events and sort of you know leveraging technology to uh, make everything more efficient in terms of um you know just sort of the ins and outs of keeping people safe and and um keeping things moving at a live event right and so the marketing um uh, support that is required for that type of thing is tremendous. So, you know, I think it, the, if you are an organization that has realized, um, hey, th- there's a whole nother world of digital that is so big um, today, but also something that we need to resource for the future. And not just in terms of resourcing, um, in terms of, um, you know, sort of the nuts and bolts of like, do we have the right staff? Do we have the right processes in place, um, but really thinking about what's going to equip us to be competitive in the future and to really solve for problems that we don't really even understand today. And, you know, I think that's when it gets really exciting when you're not just hiring, you know, cool videographers that can work on, you know, uh, uh, 
creative uh, sports content and and covering you know games, but also doing compelling storytelling around sponsored content and and sponsorships and whatnot. But you're also now you're when you're thinking about resourcing digital teams properly and really having um, and and having social teams and and digital content teams that are sort of designed from the ground up to be innovative. And I, I, I think personally that that is what is really required in, in order to be equipped for the future. Yeah. I, I mean, one of my first podcasts, we had a couple of the VPs at MKTG, Elliot Gerard and Keith Steckler. And we talked all about building out virtual experiences for sports organizations and uh, what kind of innovative digital experiences you can give to fans, especially when the pandemic started. So you're right. It is it, having a team specifically dedicated to that and having it as their mission. And maybe it's, you know, even one of their goals is to, is to continuously look for new technology and new ways of, of bringing fans in and accomplishing those goals. It's a lot different than just their traditional marketing mindset and executing on those live event deliverables, not to discount right. from the marketing team, but it is a different type of, uh, you know, mindset approaching that goal. Absolutely. And again, there's pros and cons to every situation and it just depends on who you are as, as an organization and, you know, what you're working towards. But yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think um, uh, for me personally, I feel like the sweet spot is when uh, you're able to sort of design an organ, you know, restructure or design a team from scratch that is um, specifically focused on digital and you're really looking to hire talent that has been um, natively, you know, native digital consumption consumers, native digital thinkers. And, you know, and you're basically trying to bring together sort of an A team that is, that, you know, can really innovate because they're freed from some of the other sort of uh, responsibilities that, more traditional organizations are trying to deal with and, ad and adapt towards, I think. So I have another big question for you, which try to answer this one succinctly. How do you get the organization aligned for what social should produce? <laughs> this is a question that always comes up of, uh, you know, having the organization set goals and then how does social interact with them? It seems like sports teams do a better job of this than almost any other industry I see. But what are some best practices you've seen from your experience on, you know, it could be even getting resources for your team, executing on the campaigns you want. Uh, maybe it's investing in new technology. How do you make sure that you're aligned with the rest of the organization? And how do you actually get the, you know, basically get enabled to do what you want as a social organization? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a great challenge, but I think you're right. You know, social, I mean, uh, sports teams, probably do have it better than um, many organizations and other verticals and other industries because we're oftentimes able to have so much fun uh, with what we do, with the content that we're creating and in the way that we engage audiences um, and some teams more fun than others. Um, uh, but, you know, I think um, the challenge of, of aligning an organization for us, for me, in my experience, um, has, you know, the, I think the, the components that really work towards that, you know, there's some basics that you have to have in place. You have to have great leadership that gets it. You have to have a, a culture that empowers the right um, people in the right departments um, where there's a ton of uh, potential and energy and traction. Um, and I think empowering 
sort of the right leadership in those different departments um, and, and to resource them well is a part of it. Great communication, great collaboration, obviously, and those kinds of things. But for me to get specific, you know, what's been important is uh, are a couple of things. One, um, I think for social teams to come in with the mission of serving stakeholders, you know, serving the, the other departments as opposed to kind of social teams going, hey, here's what we want to do. Here's what we're supposed to do. And then everything else is sort of secondary or at worst, a distraction, you know, and, and you don't, and you, that's not a good place to be in terms of kind of alignment and, and bringing everybody together. Um, so if you have the um, perspective and just the attitude of like, we're here to serve corporate partnerships, we're here to serve, you know, social responsibility or social impact. We're here to serve, you know, um, local youth outreach you know, and community activations. I mean, I think going into it with that approach will get you a long way down the road in the future in terms of, you know, um, helping everybody to understand the value of social making and, and, and everybody wants social to be well-resourced and, and uh, sort of leading and leading in many cases. Um, even if you're working, even if you're, if you start out serving some of these other or, uh, departments or stakeholders, you, you end up leading a lot of times because of your passion and because of your expertise and knowledge, right? The other thing that I think that is critical is for, for people who are working in social, uh, particularly in matrix organizations and complex organizations is uh, mastery of the data. And so to really be able to tell the story of the impact that you're having on your audiences and on the business. So to really invest in the, to the right tools and to understand, to be um, equipped to be able to, to uh, analyze data, to pull insights, not only for your day-to-day so that you know, you know how to uh, move forward uh, just within what you're trying to accomplish, but uh, throughout the organization so that you can tell the story of the impact that you're making to um, highlight you know, the growth and to highlight the ROI um, on, you know, um, whether it's an ad spend or whether it's an invest long, sort of a longer term investment in staff and or equipment. And here's the impact that it's had. You know, the, you know, we, uh, you know, six months ago, for example, let's say six months ago, we invested in this kind of, uh, you know, new video equipment and, and, you know, bought a bunch of lenses and with the goal of doing X, Y, or Z. And, he, and six months later, here we are today. And I can show you you know, the impact that that's had and how we've arrived at that X, Y, how we've accomplished that X, Y, and Z um, and really uh, met those goals. And I think doing that and kind of having that be part of your culture and your daily language really helps to um, build those relationships where people understand what's going on and the value of social, but also can help to um, bring people together just because, you know, you're uh, providing yet another level of service of explaining, like, here's, you know, what's happening. Here's how we're, you know, moving forward. And I think, um, yeah, data goes a long way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think about that all the time. How do we get customers? How do we get companies uh, access to that data so they can start measuring ROI and they can start telling that story? So so do you have any best practices on how you actually pull that together? Because there's so many channels, there's so many platforms. It's hard to quantify a lot of the stuff you do, you know, on the actual production side. So, do you have any best practice of maybe how you've seen this captured well and presented well? Yeah, I think um, you know, become real, like if you've got um, 
a data team, if you've got a reporting team or a BI team, get friendly with those guys, you know? And, yes, yes, you know, very much car, so. Right. Yeah. Become f- friends with it. If you're not a data scientist yourself and you've got data scientists in the building, you want to become friends with those guys and build some bridges. And I, you know, I think just, um, carving out time to have conversations about, Hey, you know, is there a way I can get a, you know, improve on these reports that we're getting, you know, what are you actually looking at? What is helpful and what are you ignoring? And just having those conversations around those kinds of things. Um, for me, I think, um, you know, I, I, I've, because of my background, you know, I've got an affinity for data and I, I love spending time in data. So it's, it's not, it's easy for me, you know, it's like, you know, I'm any chance to kind of um, dig for insights. I, I'm I'm spending time in in the tools, but I think if you if you're you know more concerned with or you know your um, skill set is more towards creative um, aspects of social, you know, uh, copy and and um, video and storytelling and whatnot, then I would say you know one my piece of advice would be to um, get in the habit of asking, you know, how are things really performing? Because I think, um, and I don't know if this really answers your question, but <laughs> well, maybe we can circle back around to it. But, you know, what I've learned is that, um, you know, a, a like on Twitter or a like on Facebook, you know, often doesn't tell the whole story. Um, and, you know, there's different types of engagement, as we all know, and, you know, like, watching more than three seconds of a video, especially one that auto plays as you're scrolling, you know, is a totally different level of quote unquote engagement than, you know, going through the trouble to actually click the like button, which then also is not the same as commenting on something or sharing something because you really liked it. Right. So there's all this, all these different levels of engagement and, you know, how much of an ask is it, or are you making to, the audience person, right? The person who's consuming this content, right? And so for me, you know, I think a lot of times it, you know, I start by asking, you know, are these, what do we really know about, you know, the videos that we're producing, you know, and, and anytime there's a lot of time going into something, you know, obviously there are certain large campaigns and, and, you know, sort of bigger stories like, a, you know, the start of a season or, you know, um, a playoff campaign that you're working towards that is, you know, you're going to do that and you're going to spend a lot of time, put, put your um, best work forward for those kinds of things. But, you know, anytime I see video uh, uh, videographers and editors working on projects that I know a lot of energy and a lot of effort is going into it or people on my direct team where we're spending a ton of time just in, in Slack back and forth. It was like, you know, yeah. does this look good? Am I getting closer? Should I change this? What if, what if you change that? And you're just spending a ton of time doing things and you have to ask yourself like, what's, you know, you have to prioritize all the time, right? And you have to ask yourself what's, what is, you know, where do we kind of decide that this is enough? But I think taking a higher level view, a bigger picture view of, of content, um, in any given period. So whether it's a week or whether it's a, you know, a quarter or a a, a segment of a season, you want to kind of look at those things together and try to figure out, okay, Hey, um, and, and, you know, Facebook natively, for example, and, and Twitter natively gives you the analytics to see, you know, is measure essentially your retention, right? Where are people dropping off? You know, how much of these videos are people watching? And I think, you know, that's a great example of the questions that people should be asking. And I would say, you know, any discussion about sort of 
best practices around data and reporting and leveraging that to, you know, kind of get to where you want to be and to, you know, get buy-in from the organization needs to start with those kinds of questions. Because I, I'm t- because here's the thing, other people in the organization are asking those questions as well. Yes. You know, they, they yep. may not be verbal, they may not be, you know, bringing that up at the all hands meeting or, you know, kind of maybe, maybe, you know, you don't have the communication in place to really, you know, dive into that together. But people are asking that kind of on their own. They're scratching their heads and they're thinking about it. And, you know, especially if they feel like, hey, my corporate partnership, my sponsorship, bit of content, we don't feel like we it got the same amount of attention as some of this other, you know, more fun content, for example, organic content, you know, people are scratching their heads and asking those questions too. So I think the more informed you can be and just even having sort of uh, starting there, just have being willing to, because it's a scary thing. Sometimes you don't want to know those yeah. answers, man. I've looked at content yeah. that I've felt strongly about where I've, uh, you know, and, you know, maybe it's something that I produced on my own and I, and I spent 10 hours editing. And sometimes you don't want to know because, you know, when you see like what percentage of people actually watch beyond 25% of that, you know, 60 second video uh, or even shorter, it could be really disheartening. But I think yeah, that a lot of shame. gives <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, but I mean, you know, and and you're you're going to there's there's always you know different reasons for doing things and creating and and putting time and energy into into a piece. But you know, then I think um, being willing to ask those questions for me, in my opinion, it, it it's a practice and also in sort of um, humility and sort of uh, being open to feedback, you know, and 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 kind of uh, self analysis of like. Hey, or like, is this making a difference? Is this working? Are people watching? Like, how, what percentage of people are actually watching these? Do and and then are there actionable insights that we can take away from it? Like, should we, you know, do we need to cut to the chase sooner? Do we need to experiment? Like, do some A/B testing around what this logo looks like, and you know, or is it a copy problem where we're not really, you know, providing enough information on what this video is supposed to be doing? And so, I think um, uh, analytics can really. Uh, help you to really just have a different perspective on being willing to be, be open to those kinds of possibilities. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think that's a great best practice where you have, we have so much data. You're right. There's so many insights. You, you almost need to be a team or become a data scientist yourself to look into everything. <laughs> right. And not everything matters. You know, it's, there's, you have thousands of data points and it's constantly taking a step back, assessing what your goals are, what it's trying to accomplish and deciding on what data points actually matter and what you want to report up and what actually moves the needle. So yeah, I think that right, that's right. a great insight and it's it's really hard to do because you're right, it can be scary looking at it and and actually reporting back on it. Um, especially when you spend so much time on it or believe in it so much. Right. That's a tough question. I think we're still we're still at the very like very early stage of companies truly being able to understand ROI on what they produce. You know, it's there's so much data yes that's a fact but there's still still so much data we don't get um you know especially on the production side you know how much time went into this how long did the review cycle take um you know what what types of content are faster produced but give us more roi but maybe don't have as much impact in this other area so it still feels like we're at the very tip of the you know iceberg on this of truly understanding roi and then you know a lot of stuff is just not measurable either you know it's a lot of it's subjective and uh you you know you can't always make decisions on data. That's why we have creative people uh, that can come up with concepts that blow past whatever your analytics may say. Absolutely. Uh, some 
other very tough questions for you solving solving the social teams problems or the social uh industries problems in one podcast how do sports teams give, produce- give, give, give me an come on give me an easy one man <laughs> like no nope, it's a hard <laughs> gotta one take a break how, how do sports organizations produce so much content and this is i'll, I'll break it down more practically um uh, you know i've seen a lot of sports teams where Let's say baseball, for example, they're doing like in-game graphics. You know, every home run they have a graphic out in seconds, uh, and you know there's a lot of templating up front. But f- things like that, where do you have best practices where you've seen in sports where you do produce so much content? You're like, how do they do that? Are there things like that templating up front before the season starts so you can just kind of autofill in or take a photo on the field and route it up to the social team? Are there some things like that that you've seen that maybe organiz- other organizations, other markets can borrow from where? you have hit that scale and you can do it fast. Absolutely. And I think that's when you look at high performing teams, uh, that sort of preparedness and, um, you know, having the right tools in place to help you to be successful um, in the moment um, is key. And so, you know, there's all kinds of tools and software now that will um, sort of auto generate templates. And I I think the best teams probably are sort of still leery of that a little bit, but you can do a lot of that manually in-house on your own and prepare those things in advance. Just, you know, you've got, you're just churning it. Like anytime you have downtime, you're churning out, you know, and hopefully, you know, we're making, you know, use of the off season to do a lot of this, but you're, you're churning out, you know, variations and, uh, and variations of, you know, uh, graphics for every, possible use case right and so and and all that it still needs to be um and there still needs to be in the moment creation and um iteration and improvisation that happens for those things because that's just a lot of times you know stuff that's canned will feel canned in social uh, because you know in the moment because our audience is just too smart you know and, and they and they, it's like almost like they can smell like a template you know as opposed to something oh, you that have was, nba twitter uh, NBA Twitter is ruthless. Right. There's no, there's exactly. no, you're right. They, they are smart, educated, and they will go after you. Yeah. I, I think really the only answer is you have to be a magician. You have to, you know, be truly <laughs> gifted. You have to hire, you know, wizards that can, um, you know, be inspired at, you know, at the, at any given moment and turn and turn things around. I mean, that's, how, that's at the end of the day, that's how it is. I mean, I, I, to be serious, I mean, there are like, I'm getting hit up by vendors every day there are tools for everything from you know like hey here's a a a smartphone app that you know where you can load up all of your you know templates for different uh aspect ratios so you know you've got your whole library of things for overlays for instagram stories and 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 a whole nother library within that app for twitter and you know you've got and it's all you know got the different um aspect ratios optimized for different platforms. You know, you've got the tools like that and you've, you know, there's a lot of sophisticated um, tools that are uh, really improving by leaps and bounds every few months. Um, you know, the, the NBA uses, has a partnership with um, a tool called W out of a company called WSC that has all these video tools where you're clipping videos in the moment, you can crop them and, and throw um, uh, lower thirds on them and things like that kind of quickly. And so, yeah, there's a lot of tools that um, we're lucky to have and they're really fun to play with. There's so many advances in automation and automated content, even the auto reframing stuff you see. Um, where it oh, will actually yeah. put it into the different, you know, if, if you need a TikTok video versus your YouTube or versus uh, Twitter, 
Um, there always will be a place for the creativity, but the automation, you're right. There's so many tools now that are removing all the manual work that no graphic designer wants to do. No video editor wants to do. It doesn't have anything to do with creativity. It's just executing on a manual tooling process. So yeah, it's pretty exciting to see the, uh, the technology innovations there. Yeah. And what I've seen is a great, generally a great combination of just trying to figure out what are the tools that we need to help us out a little bit. But at the end of the day, we're still going to try to be as creative as possible. And a lot of it is still done manually. So I think, you know, it's why we're starting to see so many conversations on Twitter um, with our, with this community. Um, people really just starting to talk about mental health and burnout and how, how do you, and just smart, you know, kids, it's even young, you're seeing it really young, right? Young kids yeah. talk, you know, just being smart and, you know, trying to figure out like, how do I prevent burnout? And, and then you're seeing young managers thinking about it and um, thinking about it for their teams. And, you know, and I think the reason why is because that's part of the requirement is, you know, you just kind of have to be a machine. And I think um, that's the, you know, the, those are the people that we're looking to hire. And, you know, that's kind of what's required. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, creatives, you know, uh, people who are accomplished at, you know, having turned out great videos, having published um, great content, um, and having a great track record of that generally are workaholics. I mean, you know, you, you've, yeah. you've started an edit, and next thing you know, they you look up and, yeah, and you've been sitting there in front of your computer for twelve hours straight working on an edit, um, and they love it. Yeah, and you and you just, and you wouldn't have it any other way. So I think it's it's tough because you love it, but at the end of the, but it's also like can be very bad, <laughs> and you need yeah. to take a break. We all need yeah. to take a break very badly. And basketball, you know, you'll have four games in a week or four and five nights, and yeah, it can be it can be really hard. Uh, but to go back to, uh, we have a couple great uh, listener submitted questions here around how do you speed up that pace? What's the scope of pre-approved material that can go out without permission and what needs to be vetted by senior team execs? So yeah, how much leeway does your social team have to just fire things out versus what do you actually need to get approved? Right. You know, obviously that'll be different for every organization. For us, you know, we're very lucky to... Um, have a great support, you know, just a great network of trust and um, a pretty good um, setup where, and, you know, I think part of it is, you know, we, it's, I'm the director of social media and, you know, I basically, we designed this team from the ground up a few years ago, you know, some, many other teams have kind of had social, like maybe a formal social department longer Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also a lot of teams that are sort of kind of ad hoc kind of came together. And I think for us sort of starting out, um, with a clean slate, having a strategy and kind of trying to think through like, how do we want to be, how do we want to be set up for success helped us get to a place where we've got a lot of autonomy. And so, um, that helps. The other thing for us, I think uh, that helps us to be able to really, um, you know, have a lot of freedom, let's say, is, you know, building a great relationship with basketball operations um, and making sure that we have a, we're just, you know, on a string, you're connected, you're hearing from basketball ops regularly. Um, and if that relationship doesn't exist, then 
that's it, you, it, it's a scary place to be because you know it's, you, you can post something or you can you can post something thinking that you've got you know every that this is safe and it's probably approved but may, maybe it's not it's going to sort of help work to deteriorate the trust and you know kind of get you in a position place move you in the wrong direction let's say you know i think the most important thing you want to do anybody in my situation wants to do is have a relationship with you know, sort of the chief storytellers and, you know, the chief PR folks over on the basketball operations side that are communicating to you that understand the importance of social and that, you know, and you've got a great relationship where they understand what you bring to the table, but they, and, and they are, um, they understand that we're going to help them better if, you know, we're going to be able to service them better, the more information they give us. Right. So, um, you know, periodically checking in with, you know, obviously you do it at the start of the season, like, Hey, you know, with this group of guys that we've got, you know, maybe we've got some new talent, you know, some, some new draft picks, or there were some trades in the off season with this particular group, you know, um, this season, we want to emphasize what, you know, this, this, and that, you know, speed and, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, basketball IQ or whatever it might be. Right. Um, and, and, and you do that sort of, um, just like with any, you know, great marketing campaign, you want to almost build a creative brief around, um, how the, the messaging, the season long messaging, but then also check in regularly with, uh, you know, here's what's going on. And you're not, you're not going to get, you're never going to get, um, a ton of detailed specific information. Nobody's going to say, Hey, well, you know, so-and-so secretly on the trading block. So we don't want you, we want you to stay away from yeah, these exactly. rookies or whatever it <laughs> yeah. might be. You're, you're never going to get that. Uh, but, you know, at a high level to um, get some sort of uh, messaging direction um, and guidance on a regular basis, the more you seek that out and get that, uh, the more equipped you are to kind of make decisions on your own, as long as you're keeping those things in mind. For me, you know, I've got some, you know, messaging and, sort of strategic direction kind of plastered all over the place, you know, digitally and, you know, kind of really on post-its in my office, on my whiteboard and, you know, and I'll, you know, identify themes and, 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 you know, sort of quarterly campaign type themes and messaging, you know, in places. So I'm kind of thinking about that. And so that allows us to have a lot of autonomy and, and we've been lucky to be able to, you know, kind of run with things and not have to have a ton of things approved in advance, obviously with bigger campaigns, you know, and things, things that directly impact, like, we're not going to go off on our own and go, Hey, you know, Dennis Schroeder is, you know, is up for six man year of the award, six man of the year award. Like we're going to create, yeah. Like we're going to spin up our own campaign and nobody needs to see it. We're going to start posting it tomorrow. Like we're, we're, we're not doing that. Um, but for, for, he was was my pick by the way. He was my oh, pick. Well, I thought yeah. he got robbed. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, you know, obviously Lou Will and, you know, Harold, I mean, those guys are tremendous. Trez was a talented. seventh man. We, I, I, I had this <laughs> argument with friends. You can't have two people on one team, both nominated for six man. One of them's the seventh man. They It's <laughs> just yeah, like the technicality. So right. No, actually, I think Dennis himself tweeted that at one point. He was like, wait, I'm really up against funny. two guys on the same team. Does yeah, that make exactly. like mathematically? Does that work? <laughs> uh, but that's a yeah, great insight. No, I, it, it, I just didn't quite realize how much. Like you're right, basketball operations—they're kind of building the team in their vision, 
and they're giving that vision to you and you can help kind of advance those different messages they want. And I didn't realize, you know, how close that could be or how, you know, there's a vision for how this team wants to play. So we need to reflect that in social. That's, that's super interesting. Right. Some organizations are very much in sync. Other organizations are not. And you have the whole gamut, the whole spectrum. Um, I, I have friends that work with other teams that have a great relationship with basketball ops. I have, I have friends that work on other teams. I can't tell you which that don't have great relationships with basketball ops. And I think, yeah. you know, um, if you can seek that out and just, again, sort of approach it as like, hey, we're here to serve. Like, we're looking for direction from you guys. You guys let us know. Um, I think that's a great place to be. Yeah. The uh, the real problem seems to be maybe social needs to to give some feedback and review to the GM's tweeting, which seemed to have gotten the NBA in more trouble. But we'll, <laughs> we'll avoid that topic so I don't get a cease and desist from the NBA. Right. <laughs> um, next listener question. What or how does the team voice develop and what impact does it have on graphics, for example, or, you know, the language in your tweets themselves, if they're all lowercase or all uppercase, how do you develop that voice? Is it kind of the same extension of the vision of the team or are there other factors that go into it? Absolutely. I think um, what we just discussed and the vision of the team from sort of, you know, here's the makeup of the team, here are our goals and here's, you know, how we think we're different. Here's how we want to influence our young guys. All that is important. I think um, other things, um, you know, we at the beginning of every season, you know, we work closely with marketing and sort of the graphic design department or, you know, the art, the art department if you will, um, to, you know, do some ideation and to really, you know, do some, do some, um, work around inspiration and, and, uh, to try and, you know, and I think generally art departments and marketing departments will come up with sort of a, uh, a brand book for the season. A, A lot of times that's really helpful, um, on a season by season basis, uh, the other thing too, I think, is really um, trial and error. You know, and it's not something that you want to do on a day in and day out basis and be all over the place. But in terms of, you know, we talked a lot about templates, for example. In terms of that kind of work, where you're, you know, somebody needs to have sort of a, you know, fifty thousand foot view of your uh, art and and your look and feel, and you know. Because like with the NBA, you know, you got 82 games and you're, um, you can kind of, uh, un, like, unwittingly kind of end up in places, you know, and, you know, you can be like, oh, this looks really cool and we want to go in this direction. And then the next night or the next or a week from now, you know, it, for some reason, it's not really working out, you know, and it was like, oh, maybe we went a little too far in this one direction. Now we need to pull back. So you, you, you need some leadership that is kind of having a, you know, sort of a bigger picture view of what's happening. And I think just to uh, um, have those discussions um, again with, you know, um, different teams, different departments, design, you know, video, video coming together, Offsites are really helpful to do, you know, and it's something that we try to do a couple times a year is really get together offsite and, you know, bring your ideas and bring inspiration. And, you know, these are fun sessions where you're, you know, you open up your, um, 
sort of create a folder and you've got things from other teams and other leagues and, you know, other industries and creative stuff that, you know, you, you can draw from. And, you know, that's when you get an opportunity to kind of learn from other people, steal like an artist and kind of design yeah. things. And, and I think, um, yeah, just all of that, doing all that work, um, and in advance whenever possible, uh, before, again, before seasons, before campaigns. Um, and, and then you have that, uh, as a backdrop, upon which you can kind of improvise on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Um, And one of the, you know, a couple more questions here as we round this out, have to ask about working with the athletes. You have one of the the most exciting products on the court that you actually get to market. And you have usually, you know, especially with basketball, a lot of the players are celebrities themselves. So how do you typically work with the athletes? What are the demands on them to help with social? Where do you try to draw the line? What is it like working with these superstars? Yeah. So every season is um, potentially very different because you've got, you know, different chemistry, like every, even just swapping out a couple of players, I think can make a huge difference in terms of the vibe, you know, and, and player expectations and sort of, you know, um, uh, the working relationship overall. Um, I think that, um, so it's hard to say. I think every team is going to be different. You know, some teams have players that are playing to the camera more. Um, there's a culture where, you know, social maybe has had more access for a longer period of time. And, you know, they're looking towards um, the creative people, the cameras that are nearby to help them, you know, and to, and to kind of work together. And then there are other teams that don't operate like that. So it just really depends on the team that you're with. I think for the most part, I think all social teams would probably agree that you're there to um, simultaneously serve, but also be invisible. You know, you don't want to inject yourself into the story. You don't want to be um, uh, changing the story or forcing anything. So you're there to serve the characters and the wonderful personalities of the players that are on the court, you know, that are training, that are, you know, in the tunnel, you know, um, trying to, you know, uh, bond before they take the court or, you know, as they're, you know, working in the community, reading books to kids or whatever it might be, you're there to serve them and to let their personality shine through. You're there to let, to shine a light on the camaraderie that's happening there. So I think, um, all social teams would agree, um, in our space would agree that you're there to simultaneously serve, but also be invisible and, and, and try not to make yourself a part of that story. I I think that's been a formula of success for us. And, and so all that to say, it's really different and it's fun because you never really know what you're going to get. You know, you might have a lighthearted moment with a player as they're warming up on one day, on another day, um, you, you may not, but that might prevent provide opportunities for you to like really gather other types of content. So, uh, it's been, it's been, um, something different every day, really. Yeah. It must be exciting. Cause you, you definitely have new players every year. You have a lot of players every year. They evolve. And I just like, especially with, uh, the thunder, one of my favorite pieces that I still remember was just this like offhand, it must've been on social media, but Steven Adams every day after practice, like trying to get the ball back in the ball rack. And if even if he tried like 75 times in a row and made it on the 76, he'd yell out first and then he'd first. leave practice. Like yeah. just those right. little like stories that you get from the players and getting into their personalities are so fun. And I, it just sticks with fans so much. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, 
it's great that you called out that one example. And I love your um, New Zealand accent, your Stephen Adams interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it's great that you call it that example because it's a good example of, I guess what I was trying to say is you need to look out for those opportunities. You know, you need to figure out what makes players unique. What do they love to do? And to be um, see, looking out for them and trying to and trying to highlight those things, right? So whether it's you know certain players playful or whether it's you know Chris Paul, you know has a, you know wanting to you know um, shout out HBCUs, historically black colleges, you know doing sort of in the tour his quote unquote tour of uh, featuring HBCUs on on you know his uh, walk in attire, the shirts that he was wearing, you know, that kind of evolved over time. But we were, we saw that quick, you know, being up close, we were like, hey, this is something that's close to Chris's heart. And it's something that, you know, he's starting to do more and more. We just started taking shape little by little throughout the season. He wasn't doing that day in and day out in the early part of the season, but he was doing it occasionally, right? And so then we start to look out for those opportunities because we know that that's important to him. So then, you know, you're looking to serve that, you know, and, um, or with Dennis, going back to Dennis, I mean, you know, him and um, his, uh, his son, I mean, Junior, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. um, it just makes me smile whenever I think about how much he loves Junior and, you know, he's wearing shirt like nobody wears a shirt with their kid's face on it but dennis probably has like five different ones and and jewelry with uh junior's face on it you know yeah and so to then you 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 start to see how much joy dennis gets out of like visually you know showcasing his love for his young son and then you want to lean into that as the as the social team right so just looking out for the for the unique characteristics of of your team and just being there to serve and and highlight those things that are important to the players themselves. Yeah, I, I just had Alexis Robinson talk about athlete branding, and from her perspective, when she's working with her clients, she loves when the teams uh, can help and contribute and help those athletes get those brand deals. Whether it's you know for the for the walk in fits or you know using photography from the social team uh, to help pitch them for their endorsements. So. You know, right. very much appreciate on the athlete side too, which I think just overall makes them feel more welcomed on the team and like a part of it. Um, but last question. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, we, we um, love getting requests from, um, you know, players, te- the players, people, you know, like, you yeah. know, their personal um, management or their, you know, very few players have, have them, but, you know, a, a few do you know, their own storytelling team or their own video, you know, videographer kind of, you know, and, and to work closely with those guys, it's always uh, a pleasure to, you know, again, to serve them, but just, it'll take you in new places because all of a sudden you're not, you know, working for the team and showcasing the player, but you're seeing sort of the goals that they may, that their team may have. You know, I was one of my favorite moments from this past season, which was, um, seemed like it took 20 years just because it was an 11 yeah. month long season for us, yes. you know, with the hiatus in there. But one of my favorite memories, it seems like a long time ago was uh, all-star, right. And being out at all-star and watch and being um, at, at this wine bar and mellow, mellow set this up. Um, it was him, Dwayne Wade and Chris Paul just talking, you know, and um, yeah. we got a lot of that on video and I don't think it, I don't think it ever came out. Um, he, I think he's working on some longer Thing, longer piece thing that they're still putting together but 
man, the conversations they were having about Kobe and LeBron and just their friendship, those three guys, it was um, uh, an experience that I'll never forget. And I've got some footage of that on on one of my hard drives too, that uh, I've been waiting for them to put that out so I can go through my um, unique bits there. But anyways, all that to say, um, you know, it was an opportunity to see how much mellow values uh, his personal brand and what he invests in that, you know, so the storytellers that uh, work with him on his team and they had a, just a first class shoot there, you know, just in terms of the number of cameras and the lighting and the expertise there to put that to just to document that it was, it was pretty awesome to be able to see a player who, you know, who is um, taking it that seriously, but all, you know, also has a strategy in mind. So just again, just to, you know, um, it, it just to say we love hearing from um, players and their and their teams, uh, it's just so we can kind of see what their goals are and 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 um, and see it from their perspective as well. That's been fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think you're going to see a lot more athletes having storytelling teams behind them because you know, life after basketball, life during basketball. That's how they make a lot of their money. Uh, right. And that's, you know, where they can start setting up those partnerships. But I'm always right. I'm always surprised and disappointed that more players don't have it today. But you're uh, you're there. absolutely right. That, exactly. They'll get there. They'll get there. Uh, last question. Uh, just what is your parting shot uh, for listeners? Let's see. Um, no dad jokes come to mind. So uh, <laughs> I <laughs> I will um, leave you guys with a little bit of advice I gave a friend of mine recently, and it comes from uh, personal learnings. Um, and you know that's usually the best advice you can give something that you've experienced, right? And I, you know, I think it would be to tell young creatives, particularly ones that are working in social, <clears throat> excuse me, to um, to look out for opportunities for growth as much as possible, because, um, you know, as we've talked about, you know, the pace is so quick and so demanding and people in this industry work so hard and are so good at what they do. You can look up and a season's gone by and you've created, you know, 200, you've worked on 200 videos and that's okay. Cause that's, you're the video guy, but you know, don't let too many of those seasons go by without you looking up and looking for new and unique uh, things to work on. A lot of times those new and unique opportunities come in, in the way of collaborations with other people. Because if you're working on your, on your own, oftentimes you end up doing what you do best over and over again, um, which can work out for you, but you know, you're, maybe you're not growing in a, in a different kind of way. So it's something that I didn't do enough of. And I didn't get that advice when I was younger is because, you know, a lot of us also are also introverts, you know, creatives, oftentimes they love working alone. Um, so to, especially if you're that type of person, I would say, push yourself, be uncomfortable, look for opportunities to collaborate and work on things that, and, and, and let somebody else lead from time to time, you know, so that you're pushed to think differently. And then the other thing too, is that I would say, um, young folks need to, young creatives should look for, um, people to mentor them and also look and sometimes, you know, uh, young managers need, um, help or reminding like, Hey, you, you're there to manage. And I think what happens is in sports, so many people want to work in sports um, you know, they're like every open video editor or social coordinator position get literally gets 
three, four, 500 applications, right? I've seen this yeah. firsthand, right? Uh, you know, in terms of the hiring that I've done. And so um, there are so many young, everybody wants to work in sports. So we can kind of pick and choose. And, and a lot of organizations are cherry picking tremendously talented creatives that are just out of college. And they're really good at what they do. And they're really good people. But a lot of times they're shitty employees because they don't know any better because this is their first yeah. job in some cases. Yep. Right. Yep, and so, exactly. and then, and, and then you have young managers who've done that for a few years and then they're, they're managing these new guys. So I think it's a tough situation. And as a veteran or as, as a kind of a senior manager or a leader, you need to like, that's the number one priority should be kind of thinking about people and thinking about supporting your staff and you know and how everybody's doing and are people growing and 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 collaborating well and things like that. But a lot of times, you know, the, left to their own devices, young creatives aren't thinking about that. So my advice again to young creatives would be, you know, look for opportunities to grow. And sometimes you have to take it upon yourself to say, hey, I need help with this, and I need my manager to help me with this. Can you help me to be more efficient or more um, or, or smarter about how to prioritize or how to try different things? Or am I like Give me feedback, give me, you know, show me the metrics and, and show me like how things are performing. And can we talk about that? And I think um, if you're not getting that, sometimes you just need to like seek that on your own and 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 kind of go after that advice. I've I've had um, the the great joy of like working with, you know, smart, young creatives um, and I can think of one in particular recently who used to seek out that advice, not just from his own manager, but and, and especially if he wasn't getting that enough from his manager, he would build relationships with other mentors in the organization to try and kind of get that um, that uh, uh, the leadership and kind of um, help along the way. So that would be the thing that I would ask people to do. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Paul. We appreciate it. So many great learnings from this. Yeah, it's been fun. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Paul.